Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 82. I'll introduce you to who we have on in a minute. Uh, I always like to say sort of who was last and who was who was uh, next week. Um, and I don't think it could be more topical than ever before. Uh, last uh, last week we had um, we had Michael Blanche, who was talking about how to get into farming, how to find a way onto the farming ladder. And he is a Nuffield scholar um, with his, his scholarship called The Farming Ladder. He travelled to uh, Cambodia, India, New Zealand, France and the States, I believe it was, to sort of see the troubles different farmers the world over had in getting tenancies and getting buying land. Next week, I have someone that I'm quite sure a lot of people in this call, of which we have seven others, by the way, um, will have heard of as Mr. Charles Dowding. So somewhat of the, uh, yeah, see, I, I don't know what you're seeing. I'm recording this slightly different. I don't know if you can just see me at the minute or if you can see all of us. We'll see you when it comes out in a video. And if you can see all of us, I just look very silly. At the minute. Um, everyone looks quite excited with Charles Dowden coming on. So yeah, the sort of father of no dig. We've got people dancing and very excited with this. So uh, yeah, it was very interesting. Very much one of those discussions where I spent an hour not knowing a thing about what we were talking about. So all good fun in general. Um, but today we have the Regenerative Farming Network of Southwest Scotland, which I think I've said correctly. Uh, I'd learned the wrong name a minute ago and Abby had told me there. But I'm going to pass you all on to Abby, who's going to tell us a bit about what's involved here. Uh, and then we'll go through everyone that's in uh, this. Well, not everyone that's involved, but everyone's on the call today. So yeah, Abby, could you tell us a bit about the Regenerative Farming Network? Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. Aplan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself so thank you to Aplan Rural for that. Yes. Sure thing, hi hi Wallace, um, it's great to great to meet you finally in person, well yeah. sort of in person. Big in person you know. <laughs> hey, yeah I can see you so I, I believe you're I believe you're now a real person. Uh, <laughs> so yeah my name's Abby, I'm a market gardener um, in Galloway uh, so I'm, I'm based in the Lenkens uh, near Balmaglellan um, and I, I market garden on it's only about a quarter of an acre to half an acre so it's not a huge space um and i sell my vegetables to uh households in balmacallan in Glen, in uh, new galloway in dalray and a little bit to kind of cafes and restaurants around the area as well um i'm really really passionate about uh about kind of you know soil health and e ecosystems and ecology and stuff like that so uh, when I was approached in 2021 by Nourish, which is a sort of Scottish campaigning organisation for better food and farming systems, um, to host a, a series of dialogues um, with farmers, uh, got a, with, with farmers and also with local authority policy officers about agriculture and climate change. <laughs> so, um, in the run-up run to COP26, it seemed like a really good opportunity to bring um, farmers of all types together. Uh, so start talking about, I guess, shifting shifting the narrative from, um, I guess, conventional farming to uh, more agroecological and regenerative uh, farming systems. Um, so that was 2021. And then after COP26 in early 2022, uh, we kind of opened the group up a bit more. Um, so we went from 50, it's actually, it's actually, there was 50 people uh, signed up to that group and joining webinars in 2021. Um, 
we opened it up in, in early early 2022 and the group's now expanded to we've just shipped over 160 um uh, just literally last end this week i've added another three people um and basically what people get when they join the regenerative farming network is uh, a bulletin from me every tuesday which is a roundup of lots of um webinars and events and podcasts and uh videos and reading and research which are all kind of themes around different aspects of um, regenerative and agroecological farm existence. Um, we try and have a farm walk every month. Uh, so we're off to Bailkirich um, on the 23rd of February this month, where we can see stuff happening in practice and actually meet each other in person. Um, and then this group, all these lovely humans here, uh, are part of the Soil Health Group. And the Soil Health Group are uh, 17, far 17 farmers all together who have kind of committed to uh, joining each other a bit, bit more often. So we have a weekly Zoom call um, and we use Soil Mentor as a shared kind of collaborative platform. Uh, we have a, a very busy WhatsApp group um, and share lots of knowledge on a daily basis all the time. Sometimes just pictures of sheep, um, quite often pictures of sheep. Of <laughs> Why not? <laughs> um, but, and and yeah, and we, we try and dig holes, dig a lot of holes and count a lot of earthworms and um, look at rise of sheaths and infiltration rates and that kind of thing and do everything we can to help each other to um, improve our, our farming systems. And yeah, and I'll let everybody else introduce themselves. But we're, we're a very diverse bunch and come from a range of different backgrounds. So there's a lot going on. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah. It's a big knowledge sharing, peer to peer, to peer land worker, farmer to, to farmer um yeah knowledge sharing group uh so we're all we're all basically on the same on the same page um we want to we want to do better yeah well that's it and, and i think you know you mentioned the sort of bulletin it must take you ages to write those emails they're huge i don't <laughs> think i've ever written an email that big you know and, and everything in it is good everything in it's interesting it was quite a pleasure to actually be involved in it once but uh you know it, it's fantastic and i'm quite honored again tonight to, to to hijack your weekly meeting but um what i'm going to do is the way i'm seeing this on my screen is probably different to anyone else but it's the way i'm going to go with it anyway uh i tell you what we'll go we'll go through and we'll sort of we'll, we'll hear everyone's story now uh hugh you seem to be first for me could you tell us about yourself and and, and your sort of backstory <clears throat> yeah hi, hi hi wallace um, I like Abby's word committed. Um, she certainly is, and uh, so, so are the group. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Hugh Connick. I'm, I'm managing director. I run a company called Connick's Group. We're, uh, we're based in southwest Scotland, Newton Stewart, and we work all over the UK, but primarily Scotland. And we work in land, environment, and utilities. So the core at the heart of our company, I guess, is ecology, environmental management, and uh, you know, we run a small team of uh, seven of us and uh, we work on anything from holistic land management in, in agriculture and farming through to uh, forestry, feasibility, sustainability, we work with lots of different companies some from small, you know, private landowners. We've got a couple of acres up to landowners who've got thousands of acres and uh, some of the largest utility companies uh, who operate, you know, in, in, in the UK. Um, I'm a Welshman and I've been living in Scotland for 20 odd years and uh, Saturday is going to be some some match of the rugby but uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep keep that out of it. <laughs> um, so yeah look you know the, the group is an amazing group of people. Um, I have grown immensely just by being amongst them and in their company and uh, you know the diversity and, and the sharing is great and, and uh, 
it's a very inclusive, non-judgmental environment uh, where you know you can turn up if you want to, and and uh, yeah, you can just just chat in a free environment and share ideas. So um, yeah, I think I think through COVID that was sort of things we missed, and then I know you guys started through COVID and things like Zoom and whatnot gave gave platform for that, and it was good. But uh, now that we're sort of coming out of the the Zoom whatever you want to call it. I don't know, period. Uh, even though it's still here, it's useful. And it's not like, oh my God, Zoom, you're using it normally for something pretty positive and, and being able to sort of get on the ground and see each other again is good. I wish I could sort of enjoy the rugby chat, but if I didn't have about 4 million people post Doohan on Facebook, I wouldn't have, and have to Google it then, I wouldn't have known what Doohan meant. So uh, yeah. I, I thought it was another Chinese city. Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> so rugby is not my thing. Football, no. football, but... Uh, no, I don't no, know. No. It's about rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I was asking my mates, I was like, I don't actually understand the rules. What are these words? What's a rock and all this? And they just said, just shut up, Wallace, and, and stick to football. But um, I'll, I'll come back to you in a minute, Hugh. I've got my question yeah. sort of before, before um, the company. But uh, John, could you tell us a bit about yourself? You're muted. <laughs> I get the swear box ready. Hi, <laughs> hi, Wallace. Um, I'm John Veach, a small tenant farmer near Gatehouse of Fleet. Um, I'm fourth generation, um, and I'll be the last. Okay. I've no, no, no family, and uh, that when it when I'm ready to stop, that'll be it. Um, I hope that eventually I'll be able to leave it better than I got it. The farm, I mean, um, hence the the move to a, a mere nature friendly. After watching a podcast, a webinar thing last Monday night, I think I've maybe finally found where I sit. Mm-hmm. And that high nature value farming, high value nature farming, whatever seems to just be it. If you took the top off my head and unscrambled the mess that's in there, you you might just have come up with something that resembled what they were saying. So it was quite worthwhile. Like like this group, everybody's so diverse, as Hugh says, non-judgmental. You can talk as much nonsense as you like, and somebody's maybe able to point you in a better direction. I'm quite new to the regenerative style, and that came about as much as to do with the price of fertilizer and no putting it on and still needing to be productive as much as my interest in the wider biodiverse nature of the farm. Um, I've got a few suckler coos now. There's only 20, I think there's 22, 23. And I had 150 ewes, which I had got to 50. Much as I'm meaning to change a breed. Um, I'm not that fond of sheep, really. <laughs> I'm, I'm no. I grew up with an Ayrshire dairy. <laughs> We had pedigree Ayrshire's mm. when I was wee, and I think that rubs off. I, I, I think it does. Um, but but anyway, uh, uh, BSE galvanised the need not to have all your eggs in one basket. Um, so there will probably have to be graziers. It's a grazing farm, it's not a cropping farm, um, and quite a wet area. So mm-hmm. forage is easy enough to, silage is easy enough to grow hay maybe, isn't it? Um, so there'll have to be graziers or mixed species. There might be poultry. There might have to be some deer. Who knows? Maybe even some Ooh. goats. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. 
quite my a dad, lot of things in the mix. My old man's selling some goats if you're needing some, so... Uh... <laughs> and I think we've another lady in the in the group who breeds goats. So... I love goats. They're so fun. They're just... It just You could watch them all day. And, it, you know, this isn't going well. I've got one rugby fan when I'm a football fan. I've got one cow fan when I'm a sheep fan. You know, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what's coming next. I just... Uh, I see a harp in the background of the next person, so I, I'm not anti-harp because I don't really know anything about any <laughs> musical instrument, so at least it's going well so far. Uh, that's a fantastic, John. I've got a few questions for yourself as well, but we'll, we'll move on in a minute. Uh, Evie, could you tell us a bit about yourself, please? Sure. Um, the reason for the harp is just to take your eyes off the bed. <laughs> well, I never even saw the bed. Which said. is covered in um, electric fencing gear. They sent the wrong size of something today. So, anyway, it's a mess. This is scary. <laughs> you're all in really nice places. In fact, Hugh looks like he's in a jungle, <laughs> the kind of backlit jungle. Why yeah, am but, I living in a mess? But you could say he's a bit of a fraud. You don't know what's behind him, actually. He's just got one of those oh. back. Done, you know, I've got a pretty boring background of the top of a headboard and a white wall, so I could probably work <laughs> on doing. I'm so envious <laughs> of all you minimalists, um, because I obviously so anyway, I live I'm completely different. I live in a community which started as a commune back in the early 70s, 50 years ago. It's not a commune now, it's I suppose theoretically, legally, we're a housing co-op. But I've been okay. here maybe 40 years. We grow all our own veg in a Victorian wall garden. Um, we've got milk cows, we've got some chickens, we, we have pigs in the summer, you know, um, we get our own firewood, we've got our own hydroelectric scheme off the burn. But then, um, so I mean, we've been trying, sort of, I've been becoming aware of regenerative farming. I went um, at a very old age to the uni at Dumfries to do that environmental science and sustainability thing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I could be quite derogatory about it, but anyway, I went at a bad time, I think. And then there was COVID and then I got a really bad diagnosis. So I'm not ever so well, but about that time, we also bought a bit of land nearby, like 45 acres to stop the local super dairy or the local Sitka spruce magnates or whoever it was to take it over. We also managed to stop Abby, which was not intentional in that way. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, so it's weird. So, um, and I, this is my dream really is to, um, I, oh, years ago, um, I got a free ticket to the ethical conference, was it called? You know, at Rainton Farm, they got the ethical dairy and they did a conference because I was a student at that point. They gave me a free place and I, you know, and I remember this old couple from Texas who were amazing. And I was thinking, they flew them in, this is terrible. But they were amazing and they blew my mind. Uh, they were doing kind of mob raising. So, and I think some of what I learned at the uni as well made me think I'm really fascinated by soil and I've been reading lots and stuff. So finally, um, and we've got a kindly friendly farmer who's lent us some, we've had yearlings last year, cows I'm talking. We also had loads of sheep, and I must admit I'm not a fan, mainly because I'm too old to kind of throw myself about and get beaten up by them. And they seem to need endless feet things and shearing things and what was it, fly, what is it called? I'm guessing treatment for strike and such like that, yeah. Fly strike, that's the one. Um, <clears throat> so they seem much more disposable and sad and frightened. Whereas the cows just seem great and hunky and 
laid back. And they and actually once we got once the sheep went, it was just easier keeping cows in. So we've been mob grazing. That was our first year. We sort of let, uh, rented it out the summer before. And so this is a bit of land that's been a quarry until 30 years ago. So it's a really been messed up by humans. And then it's been set stocked with make mostly sheep, some cattle mm -hmm. for 30 years. Um, so it's, you know, I was amazed there was 40 species of, you know, forbs and grasses and whatever the other one, legumes, um, this summer. And that was the first kind of season that had been rotationally grazed, whatever. So I'm very excited about what's going to come up, although it's been quite hard winter on it. And, oh, yeah. Um, we're going yeah. to put some trees. So there's a lot happening. And it's just, I just hope my energy keeps up with it and we'll get some more um, cattle in. And I don't know how I'd ever get into money making because, boy, that's hard. I'm doing my holistic management training right now and that's really good. It sounds like you say you worry your energy will keep up. It sounds like your passion will certainly overrun the energy. It's, it's, it doesn't sound like that'll be an issue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's um, what I'm hoping. I have so many questions about the commune idea. That's so interesting, but we'll come back in a minute. Uh, moving on to Colin. What was that? <laughs> you can come for a visit anytime you like. Excellent, excellent. Um, you're going to regret that because I take people up on these things. They're like, oh yeah, you should come. And I'm like, okay, I'll be there next week. Uh, so <laughs> um, I will take you up on that. Um, Colin, uh, funnily enough, we actually have our namesakes. My first name is actually Colin. Um, so, uh, Good name. Yeah. It is a good name, it is a good name indeed, uh, but uh, my dad and my papa were both calling and lived in the same house when I was born, so mum gets sick of shouting and getting an old decrepit man, a husband and a little kid, so uh, yeah. Um, I my father-in-law works with us in the farm and he's calling as well, so. Well, Colin just seems to be a name that you either have no relationship to or everyone is calling. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Colin, tell us about yourself. <clears throat> Uh, I'm Colin Russell. I'm myself and my wife run Ramstein Farm. Um, we are we're probably as far north as this group goes in, in North Ayrshire. Um, we're we're just outside Kilmarnock. Right. And um, we've we've got a, I, I grew I grew up on a farm and uh, myself. Um, my wife actually moved to our farm when I was 12, and we kind of became childhood sweethearts there oh. and grew up together on the farm and then um I actually went and did engineering, so I studied mechanical engineering. Um, but we bought a, a small a small holding here, sixteen acres, um, in twenty fourteen when I was still working as an engineer because we we were rural people. We wanted to stay rural, you know. We wanted a bit of land. Um, we were lucky enough to get some. Um, and then I got fed up with engineering. <laughs> I got right. fed up with traveling around the world, and it just seemed so excessive, you know, and everything else. You know, constantly flying and just racking up your carbon footprint and stuff um and then eventually got to a point where i said no i'm, I'm not I'm not doing this anymore and, and and decided to break away to the farming side because we we did it as hobby you know the usually the kind of um the kind of um small scale for yourself sort of thing um and then we decided to go at it so in 2019 we went full time with that or i went full time with that wife's a primary teacher she still teaches part-time um our main thing is poultry um so we do we're running like the pasture poultry model that you see the likes of Perkins and Salatin and that running um, and trying to kind of prove that out here. Um, and, and we do we do both layers and broilers. Um, and it's highly mobile system. 
Um, it's quite challenging, and the regulations really don't suit very well for that. Right. Um, so we're always speaking with the regulators about rules and regulations because they're made for big static houses. Um, and uh, yeah, so so we've been doing that now for what one, two, three, so four, four years now. Um, and it's it's going well now. There's just so much to learn all the time, and constantly learning. But we're we feel like we're starting to get somewhere. Um, we've been developing soy free feed as well for the last few years. So we've got a kind of own feed now that we that we get made for us, um, and we use all Scottish ingredients as well, which we're we're quite quite proud of. You know, that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's really cool. It's it's a big it's a big topic just now. You know, and it's getting bigger and bigger with obviously the destruction that soy's been causing because of the way humans are growing it, etc. Um, so yeah, um, poultry is the main thing. We also do, we've been implementing silver pasture over the last few years as well in the fields. So we're creating tree line ways um, on a key line uh, plan and running a, a, a silver pasture orchard so that in, you know, four or five years time, that'll give us start bearing fruits, you know, there'll be maybe three, about three to 350 orchard trees um, and try and give us, you know that's everyone talks about stacking enterprises. You know that kind of thing right. where we can we can run the chickens and the, and the sheep and that in between the trees and still get something from the trees. Um, so just kind of implementing that, we're kind of halfway through planting, and you know we just plant ourselves, so it's kind of a bit slow going, but we we get there. Um, and then more recently, I've been studying more soil, and that's where this group kind of comes in. You know, um, started doing the training with the Soil Food Web School in America, Wayne Ingram School. Um, she is a legend. Oh, she is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. She's still the most watched video at um, Oxford Real Farming Conference, you know, the one she did. Um, so, so yeah, been, been doing that. And then um, I did a lab tech as well, which I just finished my qualifications in that in December. So, you know, I can now kind of look at soil through the, the microscope and assess it and give a, you know, an accurate assessment to our standards for, for people, you know. So um, we're just looking to start kind of proving some of our work out on the farm, you know. We're making compost and we're going to start doing teas this year and, and really trying to, you know, typically air shirts, very clay heavy and a lot of compaction issues of soils are all collapsed. So we're just trying to kind of see if we can accelerate the regeneration of that a bit, you know, with microbes. Um, yeah, so that's kind of our journey. Well, I, I am an Ayrshire man in fairness. Uh, Brilliant. Not, not a Dumfries boy. I'm uh, from uh, from Arran. So, oh, right, okay. okay. Uh, I don't know if I, some people in Ayrshire just strictly don't count that. They just call me a pot flat. But, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think that's what I am. But, uh, yeah, uh, no. We've got, um, we, we know Woodside in Arran, the farm, they do yeah, passion yeah, poultry yeah. as well. So we, we're good friends with them. I was going to yeah. ask if you know Gordon and Maria Liggett. No. All oh, right. Have you seen the wee brown hens? They've stopped trading as that now, but uh, oh, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Gordon sort of <clears throat> Gordon worked at uh, Altusburn and was like, "Oh, I kind of want to do something different." And, but he, you know, he got he got proper into it, and he went out to Germany to train, um, looking into production of poultry. And I'm not going to say any more and embarrass myself. Germany's either. mad. Germany's got yeah. so much good equipment. You know, if you've got the money, you, it's amazing. That's that's the place. So, yeah, no. Oh, I've I've had Joel Salt on the podcast. It was really interesting. Um, oh, fantastic! Yeah, and you, you mentioned Elaine. I always got her surname wrong. Ingham, Ingram, Ingham. Ingram. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 
I was I just came across the soil food web thing, and quite a lot of people that know me know you were saying you could look under a microscope and be able to tell. I could barely be able to tell if soil was in my hand. Like I'm dreadful at soil. And uh, <laughs> I was watching this and trying to gain, gain a few things, and she, I can't remember the exact thing she said to compare this to, but the thing she said that I'll tell you about it, I thought was amazing. She was basically saying, this fact is correct. I don't care what you think. I'm right. And then she just goes, if it quacks, if it's, if, oh God, I'm rude. If it quacks, it's a duck. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah I it's an Americanism, thought, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, what was it, what was it Joel called the, yeah, the, the gobbledy goals. That's what he called the sort of moving uh, uh, things. Um, the, yeah. yeah. The turkeys. Ah, so yeah, yeah. Well, like the, the the boxes they're in that you were talking about. I forgot. Yeah, the the goal with the goes are the are the like the perception system that you put them out in the field. And they, yeah, that's the ones. Yeah, I thought goal goes brilliant. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, Irene, could you give us a wee bit about yourself? <clears throat> You're muted at the minute. I spotted <laughs> <Botted> it. <laughs> um, like John, I actually grew up on a dairy farm. But we were British Frisians, not Ayrshire's, down in okay. Lancashire. Um, we moved to Scotland when I was in my late teens. My dad was told to stop farming. He just chose to go somewhere a bit cleaner aired and carried on. <laughs> so yeah. Up here we were beefing sheep, but my brother's got that farm now. So where we are, um, I actually did um, 12 years with the Department of Agriculture. Well, scarped as it is now, as I go, and started up on the islands and then shifted down to Dumfries after a wee while, which was kind of handy because it's not far for Dad. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And um, after a, a wee while, I managed to, with the sell, selling a house up there, I managed to buy a, house, a small farm down here. Excellent. And that's where I still am, 20 odd years later. Um, and you've got I'm up near Kirsvian. Right. Right up in the hills. <laughs> um, I think the only reason I managed to get it is because it's full of electric lines, so they thought with trees didn't they want it. Of course, yeah, of course. It's uh, a bit useless for trees. Um, so it's long and narrow. And we keep about 25 Galloway, mostly Galloway, some beef shorthorn crossies. Um, about 110 Cheviot cross yows and um, you know, somebody mentioned uh, goats. Yeah, we have a few goats. 56 goats. We do a bit of all sorts. All <laughs> oh, right, okay, a few goats, not like five. A few goats, aye. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we do a bit of all sorts. It's a small place and try to make a living off it. It's not easy. Um, I... First met Abby through the farmers markets and that because I also I use the garden for growing veg which I sell and make preserves with. Um, and my husband does a wee bit of alternative work with the animals, using them for TV and film work. Oh really? Cool. Yeah. Hi. Um, as far as getting into the sort of regenerative side of things, I'm a wee bit like John, a bit of a newcomer to it. It's something that's always been there in the background, but. Unlike most farmers, we don't really use any fertiliser anyway. Well, we don't use any fertiliser up here. It's a waste of time. Um, I know the area you're talking about. It'd be pretty difficult as well from thinking about the right place. I know where Carsphere is, but I'm just sort of basing it on what's around there. It'd be pretty tricky to get to a lot of the places fertiliser as well, never mind. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a lot of this place you can't get to be attractive except in high summer. Yeah, uh, surrounded yeah. by forestry. Absolutely surrounded by forestry, which is one of our biggest issues when it comes to like some mob grazing because the forestry dike is atrocious and you try to restrict them on here and they just wait and the trees come back in and the next bit down. So that makes life a bit trickier. So it's 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 learning. It's learning how to deal with that and learning from other folk who I love watching John's videos and these pictures because he's the he's he's starting up just the same and we're I'm just trying to follow him and see what he's learning and then and then there's Tim as well. I thought, is Tim on tonight? I can't yes, remember the yes, yes. we went that was the first farm walk I went on was down to see Tim and these sheep. Right. And, how he was dealing with it because he's not that different the size of a farm. It's just a bit lower ground down and it was how he was dealing with it and the electric fences he's using. And that's what this group's been so good. It's just learning from what other folk are doing. That's about it, really. And you can see you sort of support each other as well. Like You can see yeah. that, you know, even when each other are talking, you're like... I can see, I can watch you sort of supporting each other sort of in the background. It's quite nice. Um, I, I, probably not what you expect me to say, but Cars Fair and has the best cafe I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me to be able to raise I'll tell back. Lindsay. <laughs> Dude, because I, I used to go with my ex's family all the time, but funnily enough, I don't do that anymore. Uh, but uh, it was it is absolutely brilliant. Loved it. I mean, they do this chili and haggis burger. I mean, it, it must be about three and a half thousand calories, but it's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> do please pass that on. Um, she, she runs a wee enterprise called Scott Matt as well. And she does oh, kind really? of like crazy, crazy um, uh, sort of flavoured scones. like Crazy like, scones. Crazy, like what, Marmite and Iron Brew or something? I don't know. I'm making that up a bit, but what yeah. great name. Scott Matt. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, no, they're a good pair. I've enjoyed it in there. Um, and Irene has mentioned Tim there. Tim, uh, by no means least, but you are currently last, uh, but no no way least. Uh, give us a wee bit of it yourself there, Tim. <clears throat> um, I'm Tim, Tim Barnes, and um, been involved in farming all my working life, um, as initially as a, a hill shepherd in Argyll, and then latterly for um, the last... Um, 15 years up until two and a half years ago as um, uh, also farming my own right as uh, with a contract farming uh, agreement and uh, various things happened which changed my life and um, I ended up moving down here two and a half years ago um, uh, but uh, one thing I suppose that's, that's very mi minor part of why um, I moved away from Argyle is um, that I came across the concept of regenerative grazing and it, it made so much sense that I couldn't do anything but um, take it on. So I started on, on my Wheatcroft um, the year before we moved down here um, with, our, with our small flock of Hlen ewes um, with using electric fences uh, with strip, strip grazing and um, overseeding with um, uh, legumes and, uh, and herbs, which worked quite well down there. So then we moved, moved here, I'd say two and a half years ago, increased the, the flock, um, sort of doubled in size and um, 
have since then been uh, doing regenerative grazing here um, and uh, getting, as we, as my understanding of um, soil and regenerative um, practices increases, and this, this group has, has fed into that very, very much, then that thing of it making so much sense, it just goes on making sense. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of, in a way, snowballs for me. So I see a broader thing, a broader impact on what we could do. And I see the, the depth of um, the impact that, that we hopefully are, are developing and going to have on, on our wee farm. It's quite, it's quite interesting, you know, probably John, Colin, Irene and yourself, Tim, have mm -hmm. been involved at some point in, in conventional farming, whether that's yourself or family, and, and sort of seen that, that movement to, to regenerative for whatever reason. One, three of you mentioned was fertiliser, you know, it's, I've had various arable farmers and large scale farmers on and whatnot in the podcast and it's to the point that it's it's financially damning to some businesses and but then you sort of look forward and you're like well let's forget finance for a minute and try and consider the sort of environmental benefit of the Haber-Bosch process not happening uh, or not not happening that's I assume that's a stage we never get to but reducing at least and then well I, I as you're saying that well as you're sort of showing now maybe, maybe it is a uh, Maybe it is a stage we get to. Anything is possible. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we, yeah. we really need to decarbonise our entire economy and you know food and farming systems are, are no different to that. And you know I think it's been proven over and over again through regenerative and agroecological um, holistic management, whatever you want to call it, that you can build soil health and soil facility through through kind of natural processes if you just manage the situation right. You know, as a market gardener, we use no-dig systems. So Charles Dowding is a bit of a bit of a god. I guess in that in that world, although I haven't met him in person in January um, at, the Oxford, at the, the Oxfordville <laughs> Farming Conference, and he's such a nice guy. He's just like shares all the knowledge. He's like he's not he's not a, a kind of you know doesn't keep it to himself. He's happy to share. So, and I think that's that's what groups like this are about. It's like that that knowledge sharing is so crucial, so we can understand how to build soil health and soil fertility and protect nurture love our, our ecosystems and you know move away from this kind of extractivist and input heavy uh, kind of system that we currently currently operate yeah and i think we're in sort of a an interesting stage where we're, we're just about to well we still have subsidy until 2028 we think from an eu perspective you know on a large-scale agricultural basis what's next and the only way i see um assistance in that form coming is promotion of biodiversity reduction of carbon increasing carbon sequestration all these things now yes there's got to be some look at protein output it's a massive very important part we've got to feed the planet um but yeah i think that's a push we're going to see i hope it's a push we're going to see uh, i don't know where we're at to go next the way i sort of normally run these group podcasts is sort of let's jump back to Hugh. let's jump back to john and sort of run through everyone but i'm conscious we do that we'll be here Saturday because uh, there's quite a few of us so what I'm probably going to do is maybe just sort of throw questions out and just you guys are brave enough you know each other so just whoever feels like they want to answer just go for it and you mentioned one there Abby it's probably a good one to jump on but what do you think 
the future of carbon is? Like, do, do we see carbon credits? I personally have spoke quite a few times, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, that the idea of carbon credits and, and making carbon a commodity is a horrible and scary prospect. Uh, but some people totally disagree with me. I know that. I've met a lot of people that disagree with that. Um, but yeah, talk, talk to carbon. Talk, talk about carbon. Tell me what you think, where we're going there, where we are now, um, the sort of moves we've already made. We're talking about carbon now, whereas when I was at uni, we had a course in fourth year called Carbon Management, sure, but that was probably it. You know, uh, So it's a good thing that we're moving in that direction. I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, Aplan Rural. Aplan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates the UK over and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Do you want, do you want me to kick off because I mentioned we had a carbon audit? Excellent. Right, well I think the carbon audit's a little shite. Simple. um, It's no use trying to tell me where I am if you don't count grassland carbon sequestration. I accept that's very difficult to measure accurately, but we have to start somewhere. My finite resources need to be pointed in the direction where I can gain most benefit to me and to the wider environment. So I didn't want to be heading essentially to, to Perth or Inverness via Perth when I should be heading to London. By the time I get to Perth, you realise I've gone the wrong way and I should be going the opposite direction. You turn <laughs> me back. That is how stupid I think some of it is. And and until, as has been mentioned elsewhere, until we look at the whole picture, we need to see the thing holistically. We need to look at everything, and that includes the, the grassland sequestration. As far as I'm concerned, it's an output calculation, no more. Not an audit. An audit's a balance of the positives and the negatives. And, and I, I really get quite annoyed at uh, some of the suggestions that this agriculture, whatever version we're on now, is, is going to be the way to go. There's none of the way to go until they start taking account of everything. The balances, the ins and the outs. I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, I work for a company that owns agriculture, and I've called it out on a few occasions that the issues I have with it is... Um, you know, I'm not anti-dairy and I'm not anti-dairy in any way, but I don't know how you can tell me you've got an intensive 365-day dairy, sorry, housed dairy herd with probably about 100% synthetic water transport, 100% animal feed transported. Everything is transported to that one place. Now, I've got a bit of an issue with 365-day housed, but I don't have an issue with 180 days. There's 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 sustainable ways to do that, but that sort of that system, there is no way you can tell me that that is worse for carbon than an extensive hill sheep system. It just it can't be. There's 97% of that water is naturally transported in the sheep system. You're never ploughing. You're never opening up any ground anywhere. Everything is just taken off the hill. And like you say, John, I mean. Agricalc's not the only one at all, not by any stretch, but I think until it's completely holistic, we, we can't we can't monetize this and it's what's about to happen. And if it is going to get monetized, it has to be done right. And I can't see that happen. Me neither. So I can see what everybody else yep. thinks. I think it's too complex. I'm very much on the same page, John. Carry on, Paul. <laughs> 
what do you mean? Like what? What? what uh, yeah, I clearly agree with John. Uh, Colin, you said there it's too co- complex. In what sense? And that you you never think it will be possible to cover everything, or uh, not necessarily. I, I, I mean, I, and I'm not I'm not good with the politics of things. So um, excuse me here, but um, there's two things I see. What one is I'm so complex because I'm if I'm set stocking versus mob grazing versus the best form of holistic plant grazing, all of those are going to sequester carbon at different rates. Now, are we going to start getting really good at measuring carbon in the soils? You know, I'm because a lot of people still debate that we can't even properly accurately measure carbon, but we accept what we have now. But it's like there's so many variations in one system you know, and, and that agriculture, um, Heather Close had posted about her, her dad had written into Scottish Farmer about it recently, saying about it being wrong with the, as John's talking about the grassland stuff. And uh, I went and read a bit about the article, and it was, a, as I think, was it Dr. Rachel Ramsey, I think? Um, and she was talking about how they they, they consider that um, grassland is basically saturated at a certain point, carbon percentage, a certain percentage of um, carbon, you know, it gets saturated. So they don't consider grassland because they, they, they basically say that if you've been if you've had a long-term um grass system that you've been grazing, they basically accept that it's at its saturation point of carbon. But two things to that is um when we regeneratively graze, like like especially really intensively, where you're talking like a million pounds of foot per acre, you know, and moving six times a day, um, the regeneration at that rate is massive. Um and, and people are putting carbon numbers that are going up and up and up. Um, and I don't think this saturation accounts for the fact that if you do it that way, and I don't know if it also accounts for depth, because you, you, may, you may saturate the top six inches, but your next 10 feet are still are still subsoil, and then they need to get back to... Because topsoil grows downwards, it doesn't grow upwards. It does, but it, you know, it grows downwards. Um, uh, you know, when we talk about building topsoil, we think we physically think of building soil, but we're also we're building downwards, closer over. to the sun. Eh? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, so we're allowing we're allowing the plants to root deeper, etc. So, how do you account for that? How do you account for depth? How do you account for management style? How do you measure that? Um, so that's one point, and then the other point is just any time we have a subsidy system, I'm. Um, those that are able to influence the most will influence to suit their needs to make sure they get the most money. 100%. And therefore you get a system that isn't just inherently corrupt, whether, you know, whether the people that want the most are see themselves as corrupt or, are, you know, they may not be corrupt within the system or whatever, but it basically works to a corrupt nature, you know, because, you know, if any of you shout the loudest and then their main shareholders are big, massive dairy farms and then they want they want that calc to work in their favor so you know why would you why would you want to promote a system that isn't going to give you as much money as you currently get you're not so you're, everyone's going to fight it do you know, you know? it's you say you say quite a lot of interesting points there Colin one thing that, that that I've always thought is you know if you're considering set stock and, and I realize we've been talking about mob grazing the whole time we haven't actually said what it is so I'll throw that out to everyone in a minute but if if you're considering the two if you're mob grazing, rotational grazing, paddock grazing, all similar, slightly different, but you know, for the most part, you're attacking that grass more often in my head. Sorry, you're attacking that grass quicker, more intensely over a short period of time. In my head, now 
I'm not a grass expert, not at all. Um, we're speaking with a man at the minute who is behind some grass. Uh, but every time you batter that grass down quickly over the short period of time with these grazing systems, they're going to have to grow back, they retiller quicker back. That's going to be more carbon going into that product. So surely that form is sequestering more carbon into an animal that's then picking it up. And then if you're talking about sheep, every year you're taking two kilos off at 45% carbon and wool. You know, there's so much things being tied in here. I don't think they're all being considered. But just quickly, away from carbon for a minute, we have been talking about mob grazing. Could someone tell me what that is? Well, tell the viewers, I guess, what that is. <clears throat> um, Who's going to go for it? <laughs> um, We're all waiting well, for Tim. I think he would be good to talk about that, actually. But but yeah, maybe Tim. <laughs> um, mob grazing, or um, maybe more descriptively, um, adaptive multi paddock grazing. So the adaptive bit is um, you're responding to um, your your weather, um, your topography, uh, the needs of your um, of your soil needs of your animals as well but well, basically you are um, restricting your animals um, onto ground um, to graze for not more than three days because after three days um, there will be regrowth and that regrowth will will be targeted by the by the stock and at that point you are um, taking Taking back um, the energy from from the roots of your of your plants, so you want to avoid that. You're wanting to encourage the roots and to to, to grow and and strengthen and and be in your soil. Um, so, uh, if you uh, move after one, or in some cases when people are moving several times a day, but basically um, one, two, or three days, is what I do, and. Uh, then move on to the to an, another strip of grazing, leaving what you've just grazed for um, at least um, people will be leaving for at least um, three weeks. I tend to leave at least for a month to six weeks, and in some cases I'm um, aiming at uh, nine, ten, eleven weeks before returning to that that strip and grazing again. And in that time. Uh, that grass or that grazing will um, very quickly recover because it's um, been trampled. It's been had the most nutritious bits taken off, but there's a lot of leaf there still to photosynthesize. So the recovery and growth is is quick. And um, as time goes on, as the uh, grass roots become um, uh, more more embedded, more embedded with the ecology in the soil. Um, that uh, that that regrowth and the activity in the in the soil um, will will inc will increase does increase and um, that's that's the, the basic that's the basic aim. Um, what goes on from that we could we could talk and we do talk about <laughs> for forever and ever. But um, that's the that's the basic idea. Does that make? Yeah, what I said. Yeah, absolutely. Looks like Hugh's got more to add, though. I see he's just unmuted this second. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. This is, this is the interesting thing about this group, you know, and, and uh, sort of mob grazing, I guess, is means different things to different people. But I, I kind of 
uh, kind of see mob grazing as a, as a cheap coin word for holistic plan grazing. And uh, quite often, if you speak to anybody who's done the Alan Savory's holistic plan grazing course, mm. you don't mention the word mob grazing. It's holistic plan grazing because your, your consideration is always planning ahead. Um, but I love Tim's system. And when I met at Tim's farm, you know, incredibly inspiring person. And what, what I like about not just this group, but Tim's approach is that it's driven from a passion and an inquisitiveness to not do harm to the environment. And, yeah. and uh, I think that's the, that's the difference between a lot of regenerative farming is you, you're seeking to understand your land and your ecosystems better before as part of your decision-making. Yeah. So, you know, you're really taking into heart your, your landscape, your context, um, in terms of mob grazing, you know, I've got holistic land management books, which are my Bibles I, I, I go by. And uh, I've, I've worked with National Trust doing holistic plan grazing in their ecosystems. And, and uh, yeah, it's incredibly hard. But it's, it's uh, yeah, hence the name, it's plan grazing. You're always looking where your animals are grazing. The recovery times, the herd effect, the cause and effect on the land. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I just back up what, what, what Tim says, you know, and yeah, been incredibly impressed by, you know, I've not been to other people's farms, but his system and uh, his, his passion for, for, for looking after the land. Uh, yeah, definitely. And so, sorry for laughing over you there, Hugh. I just noticed that Evie pointed up the exact same book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I got that one as well. <laughs> that version. I've got it um, as well. Oh, everybody's got it deepest. I'm missing I thought, out. I thought, I thought only I had a copy of that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think you've got some that no one else has, and the uh, full spoiler, it's a spoiler. <laughs> I've, I've already got, I've already got a PDF of it. I have. Ooh, <laughs> I have more paperless, paperless, better than vinyl. Uh-huh. You and Evie, you know. It's uh, not as good for your eyes, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm like knowing it. So I've. I've got this book where I write like notes on podcasts, like as we go. Uh, but it's the only paper I have, and sometimes like, like managers and whatnot at work will like give me a bit of paper, to take notes in meetings, and people take the piss because like the only time I ever write anything, it's all on screens. But also, my eyes are terrible when I look at screens, so I should maybe try and do both. Um, but uh, one thing I really want to jump back to from right at the start, I've got a question for you all again, but I've got one person I really want to ask some questions to, and it's Evie. Evie, could you tell us about, I'll be honest, I don't actually really know what a commune is. <laughs> what is this? What does it involve? And, and how, how, yeah, just tell us how it works. <laughs> well, what, what I did say was that this is no longer a commune. It's, when it was sorry, a commune, yes. it was income sharing. And now it's more, it's not income sharing. So we all pay uh, rent, it's remarkably and embarrassingly low and that covers our expenses, but we are expected to um, work here and it, we've never yet found a way. I mean, it's very much from each according to their abilities to each according to their needs. So there is no having to sign stuff out or eat less of something or um, it's just very, it, it seems to work, you know, but. Uh, of course you get resentments and stuff so it's a bunch of people living together but I think it is um we're lucky because it, it started 50 years ago and with some sort of fairly rich for middle class upper middle class I would probably call them folk from London coming up owning houses 
buy and it, they only bought this place by mistake because this guy came up and put in an offer not knowing that when you get to Scotland putting in an offer is binding so they actually had to buy this <laughs> we were in a strange little cross pocket and um you know the big ugly great kind of mansion house but it's got its uses and um you know it's probably just an asylum where we've all been sent um and so I always feel a bit of a fraud because at the moment I'm doing my financial planning with the holistic management bunch and you know like we don't really do money so much um it's much more growing food and sharing it and giving it away and um, and I understand why most people have to make money. But also, I think our whole system is so corrupt and wrong. And it's brought us to this place where we pretty much destroyed the planet we're living on. And I think capitalism has a lot to, to answer for. And even when I see people I admire loads, like Gabe Brown, they're all like still driving the big tractors and into making lots of money and flying around the world. And some part of me, of course, would like to challenge all of that and go, you know, what we need to do is feed the people around us to eat in season, to eat food that we're producing ourselves um, organically, but as well as regeneratively. Uh, there's so much. And God, I had so much to say about carbon credits and so much to say about mob grazing. So anyway, I don't know why it's worth talking about communities, though, because it seems that nobody can afford to get a place to buy land. And that's partly because of these buggers like insurance companies based in London who are buying up family farms in Dumfries and Galloway to put their stupid Sitka spruce plantation so they can get carbon credits so that rich people can carry on flying as if the planet cares whether you paid your I don't know, I don't even understand carbon credits, but we've got a, a government that runs something called Drax Power Station or gives them loads of money every year so they can cut down old growth forests in Southeast America, USA, and then turn it all into pellets and ship it over in ships to this country and call it carbon neutral. And that's the account that way. This is just diabolical. And it's all neoliberals that are bringing us. And, you know, I weep when I think of my grandchildren. So for me, this is a massive thing about, um, I mean, I used to be somebody that would glue myself to the road a lot. And now I'm just too sick. So now I just want to farm because it feels in a way more positive. And to regenerate and to also increase biodiversity, because biodiversity loss, man, is like even just as scary as climate change. And we are so... I'm sorry, but we're just messed up in a bad way. Can you cut that it's out? so true. And on the on the credit thing, the thing that you know, if a company buys ground that's derelict and not been used and puts trees on it and somehow makes it better in that sense, I can kind of see why that's incentivized. I'm not saying it's right, but I can see why it's incentivized when it becomes someone buys up a patch of land that is already in that state i.e got trees on it nothing changed <laughs> nothing has changed uh, that is the thing that really sits wrong with me and also from a farming perspective sort of putting trees onto ground that should be it's too good for trees uh, essentially is another issue and also um, young yeah. folk can't even buy bits of land or any age of folk or, you know, folk that live in Dumfries and Galloway and want to have a bit of land and maybe grew up here, they can't even afford it. 
because the price, you know, I'm part of this woman that got paid millions for her family farm. I mean, nobody's got that kind of money here and, and neither should they. I don't even know what I think about land ownership, really. It's a, a, an odd idea. It's, it's an interesting one. And, and you know, I openly say that we are, you know, my family own land and, and by generational wealth or whatever it is, I will own that land, I assume, unless dad and I majorly fall out. I can't see it. Uh, sorry, dad, if you're listening and it's good to cat and dog home. But, um, you know, that sort of idea is there. And I have a student that challenges it hugely and she's not wrong. Um, am I hypocritical to sort of talk about it and say that I'm probably still going to benefit from it? Yes, but uh, it's it's a topic that I think we have to talk about. And is someone who owns land wrong for selling it for a ridiculous amount because someone that's came for, for trees? I don't know. I see Abby's got her actual hand up, so I look forward to hearing this. Yeah, <clears> I just thought the hands up was quite a sensible way to jump in uh, <laughs> rather than interrupting people. But yeah, I mean, just, just I used to live in a housing cooperative as well, not the same one that Abby lives in, but one in South Lanarkshire. Um, so I'm a massive fan of cooperatively owned and collectively owned uh, sort of land-based or, or housing projects. I think it's, it's it's a really viable way forward, especially for my generation. I'm 45, but that's still relatively young. And I cannot afford to buy somewhere by myself at, at all. Not not in today's prices, not without getting a hefty mortgage. And I can't, I can't afford a hefty mortgage. So the kind of uh, models that I'm looking at are sort of co-ownership, um, where you know I'm clubbing together with four or five people uh, to, to look at kind of you know 30 acres or small farms or a small holding um, where we can buy together. Now, even even at that, we've not managed to find that elusive place yet. So I'm still renting land from from a friend um, that I live on and work on. But yeah, it's I think that's that's a it's a, it's a model that we can take forward and actually utilise if we can only get in there in the property market. But as Effie said, all these kind of properties are they're being bought up first by kind of carbon credit companies and yeah, peat bog plantations and no, peat, peat bog restoration projects yeah. and, and sickness food plantations. I think there is a way to regenerate the uplands that includes uh, trees and livestock. Um, you know, and, and we need to do that. You know, a lot of the uplands is is over overgrazed and badly managed. Um, uh, but and we do need to kind of see a, a kind of you know more gentle way of managing that, and, and kind of have a um, trees like you know birch and and rowans up there. But yeah, that's going to take some time to do, and the policy policy environment doesn't allow for that at all. You, I think. Is yeah, up. no. Sorry, I just come in on that one because. This, this kind of guess hits on some of the core things, you know, of, of I guess tonight's discussion, and 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 they raised some really good stuff there, and so the Derby, and you know, as a company, we sit very much in between, um, you know, working on 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 landscape scale, and we've worked on some of the biggest tree planting schemes in Southwest Scotland, and you know, they are always contentious. And they're contentious yeah. even as a consultant when you're doing them because you're always navigating between the grey lines and the grey areas of delivering a target by the Scottish government to increase tree cover. You know, when you understand that Britain is the third largest importer of timber in the world and, and that appetite's not going to change very, very soon. So how do you how do you, you know move away from that being a net importer to being self-sustaining? 
and you need more trees if you're going to start using trees for products and producing and, and keeping your ecosystems going. And as a farmer growing up in you know, South Wales, and, and we do a lot of work in the hills and in South Scotland on, on species conservation, black grouse, etc. And, you know, at, at four o'clock in the morning, when you're standing on those hills and you're looking down a fence line of forestry on one side and sheep grazing on the other side, and the sheep grazing is lovely, but the, the grass is as short as a billiard table. There's hardly any grass. The heather's gone. It's a depleted ecosystem. On the other side, you've got the contentious Sitka spruce, but you've got a very good understory in some places of nice heather, and you've got black grass. So you've got two parallels you can see in the landscape you know, straight away. Um, so I think I think definitely there's a wider conversation to be had about land use change in Scotland and the drivers behind it. I think, and you know, I, I can I can see it from many different angles: the critical side, but also the side where there is a huge, huge challenge for the Scottish government to navigate to be in, you know, a, a relatively sustainable country and, and also do as little harm as possible. Um, but also be able to, yeah, I guess, you know, bridging those gaps between do you input masses of timber or do you grow your own? You're going to have to grow it somewhere. And I think farmers have got an amazing opportunity here to step up and grow more woodland on their farm in, in small, sustainable, like Colin's doing there, you know, integrating his enterprise with trees. People are now doing it with sheep enterprises and cattle. Um, and those things are happening, you know, I, yeah, I sometimes get down about these things and get critical, but this this that's what I like about this group is there's people out there who are doing these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And th- th- things like this group are are how how these things begin to happen or or continue to happen. Sure, for sure. Yeah. It's yeah, empowerment and and giving people the confidence to go for it and learn and share, I think. And yeah. Um yeah. I am. Um, I can't tell if it's an ornament or John's hand up. It's John's hand up. <laughs> John, fire on. You were right. so still for about right. a minute like this. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> I, I I think it's interesting what Hugh's saying there. Um, maybe when a farm does disappear, and I'm and I'm coming at this for for a few angles. I'm coming for it for a very forested Galloway already. Um. To, to thinking where where I might end up in 10 years' time, I might have to sell out or my tenancy, maybe return to the estate, who then sell it out to somebody who's going to plant a stack of trees on it. This is not the most productive land. It's the it's the land in the middle. It's no peat bog, so it's no excluded. It's no high-value arable land, which is too good to plant. It's the stuff in the middle. And this is the, the, the engine room of the grassland carbon sequestration. Come back to that. It, it, it's everything. And just on that, before I forget, if that's not true, if that's not right, why do we continue to teach children when they start science, basic photosynthesis? What's the first page in the science book? So things that's green, as long as the sun comes up and there's a bit of moisture, the chlorophyll's helping us grab, use carbon dioxide. That's that, that's a fundamental. If that's not right, 
it's high time that was addressed at school level, right? But back to the trees, if let's say the farm disappears and it's going to timber, would it not be sensible to make some of the better land into a sort of small holding to create this biodiverse pro sort of pocket? It's also a fire break. Instead of this blanket of forestation, it would either be one home, two homes for somebody who maybe has to do part time. It might be that that my replacement maybe manages the the farm effectively. If it's if it's a hundred acres that's left, if it's eighty acres that's left, I don't know. But maybe they do that at evenings, half days, weekends. Maybe they're going to have to go and get a job. Maybe we're going to have to accept that red meat consumption protein might have to change. We maybe have a, 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 a temperature-controlled building where we grow insects. I don't know what the future is, but I think there's so many opportunities. I think they could reduce the size of planting that qualified for grant. We could maybe have biosecurity boundaries, so maybe for high animal health. So maybe there could be a, a forest strip, a woodland strip that's maybe fruit trees, it's maybe hazels and rowans and stuff, berries, things we can use that create that boundary that, that go towards the tree plant target that don't really affect the productivity of the farm, but that add to the biodiversity and wildlife corridors. Again, I'm back to this holistic thing where we're going to have to see the bigger picture, look at everything, take everything into account. And I think if, if we can do that going forward, and that comes back to you as well, as to what the students are getting taught. Definitely. That, that's knowledge sharing. There's going to be a gap. We're going to get to the point where the hours oldies are going to be gone and there's nobody going to know what went on, know how to look after stuff. It was interesting to hear the lady, the crofter lady, um, saying last week they hadn't grown hay for 40 years up in that bit, and it was Ascent or Sutherland or whatever it was, and they didn't know how to grow hay when they started on with a few sheep and a few cattle again. And I'm thinking, I don't mean it. Do I know how to grow hay? And I barely know because it rains too much. And I'm but you might know, but you never get the opportunity well, to try that, it. Well, well, there you go. So there's an awful lot of knowledge gaps and things that need transferred that need passed on to the next generation and the students need to know and you know the fundamentals has to be mayor about the soil mm -hmm. yeah I'd agree completely um, I think also sorry one thing I was going to add as well that's a good point John, was, was um, there's a few terminologies that fly around as well that I think people you know I was looking been prompted by this thing tonight to look up what a what a farmer means, in the Oxford Dictionary says a person who owns or manages a farm. And a is farm, that what yeah, and a farm, nothing. And then it says farm, a place for breeding a particular type of animal or producing a specific crop. So then going to a custodian, we call often here custodians of the countryside, a person who has the responsibility of taking care or protecting something. So. Those are words that are coined a lot in policy and, and agricultural bills and things like that. Um, so, you know, there maybe there's a separate discussion to be had somewhere about terminology. What do these what do these terms and words mean and how do they reflect our current or present 
present you know, passage in time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, that, well, I, I, my my podcast is called the Articast, People in Food and Farming, and yeah. uh, people said I've had a few folk ask why have you put food in there, and I'm like because that's why we're doing it. <laughs> so it should really just be people in food, you know, but. Uh, farming gets views you know but um Irene I see your hands up there <clears throat> sorry it has been for a while I apologize I know it's all right it's all, right. <laughs> it's all interesting um <laughs> there's a couple of things one is like John's point about loss of skills and one of the things I would really like to know that I know my parents generation knew is how to lay hedges but it's really not a skill that's much much seen any longer and even finding no. some the, you know, that could show you is tricky. My dad has the knowledge, but he no longer has the physical capability. So there's, there's a lot of skills like that has been lost over the, of the really the last 20 years. And we, you know, we need to find them again before they go know, forever. You're, you're absolutely right. There's, there's a boy back home in Aaron. Well, his, his brother's my best friend, really. He, um, he's taught himself that. And he's bloody good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I've got a pal who is actually a TikToker <laughs> um, who has taught herself that too. And uh, they are putting up pages right around the whole farm at the minute. And uh, I know that uh-huh. our course, uh, Rural Skills at the college, does that as well. So, um, yeah, uh, it's it's actually something I want to get into agriculture course uh, as part of farm maintenance Um I think it'd be a good good one to add in. Uh, well, hedge, hedges are a great way of putting biodiversity back into grassland farms. Yeah, hundred percent. One of the best, ways, really. Yeah. Fabulous way of doing it. But the yes, other yeah. is, um, well, Abby, Abby will know. I do have a bugbear with commercial forestry, probably because we're surrounded by so much of it. And just as Evie said, yeah, trees are not a bad thing. But these sector plantations and how they're managed is not a good thing, especially not that they're getting credited with so much ability to store carbon and when farming's being ignored. But so we're surrounded by these things. The forest companies have got no interest in managing their fences, their edges, so we lose sheep out. And then you get the forest ranger coming saying, I'm going to shoot your sheep if you don't bring them back. That's the sort of attitude we have to deal with up here. Um, this parish in Kersfian is over 55% afforested, which right. has had a huge effect on the community, the lack of young people, the lack of jobs, where you used to have farms and farms had families on them who supported the school. Oh, yeah. The school's mothballed likely to close and I can't see any way of changing that because the foresters don't live here so you lose the community mm. and the, the management of these woodlands with their extensive road networks which are all ditched they I mean I know they they mound rather than plough now but the mounds are all in the line and they quite often end up washing out so you end up with a plough or if it's the the harvest has been in, they leave tracks, and that leaves water runoff. And because Fairn Village flooded three times, three 200-year floods inside um, 
two years, a few years ago. Really? Yeah. The Jeez. whole village, there was only about half a dozen houses in the village were not affected. And then there was outside houses, like our farm was badly affected. Another one further up the bow burn was badly affected. They couldn't get out. The bridge washed away. We we lost a lot of stock down the bun because it just rose that mm. fast and we couldn't get away. There was an independent report done by Kaya Consultants and it was the the way the forestry had been managed that was getting the primary blame for the rapidness of the flooding in an area that hadn't flooded for decades. Yeah. So it's I do have an issue with forestry, but I don't have an issue with trees, if you see what I yes. mean. And I, I would love to put more trees on here, yeah. but with the electric lines, it's a bit of a problem. But that's where I like hedges, because they are lower. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I do have a big oh, so, issue sorry, with trees and, and commercial forestry, and the fact that, yes, they do have to put some broadleaf species in now, but basically it's, it is a more monoculture and when it goes on for thousands of acres like it does here we come out the back of us or past our march and the next stop for any farmland is um basically the top of the merrick it's all trees yeah no yeah. right for here to glen true uh, no it does become a pretty large-scale monoculture in that sense yeah and i like mm -hmm. your sort of i don't have a problem with trees i have a problem with woodland i i quite I, or forestry you should say i should say i'm very excited Tim, I just saw a cat, hands down the best animal. Um, Colin, <laughs> uh, I think you had your hand up there a minute ago. <clears throat> uh, yes. Oh my God, sorry, look at the little cat. Oh, it's so like my wee Jamesy back home. Oh. Sorry, Colin. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, I, just following on from what I was saying, but the forestry is, um, I'd be interested to know how much the carbon credit schemes take into account, the, you know, the machinery used, the diesel used, and the loss in carbon from the turnover of the land of the machinery on it, because it's incredibly destructive. Um, not only that, but the, 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 the I know somebody works in forestry and the machinery has to get to the forest in the first place. And a lot of times you have to destroy a lot of land just to get there. And if not, you have to build a road. And then when you make a forest, you, you know, it's, it's contractually applied by the forester to make a road in and out and maintain it. And, I mean, the amount of asphalt they put down is crazy because they're running lorries 24-7 over these roads and they get destroyed. And, and it's in their contract that they have to maintain it because, you know, they're going up roads that are B roads and back roads where people live and they're turning them up and destroying them. So, you know, they're always told, you know, you need to build a better road to maintain it so that the trucks don't wear it all down and people's cars get ruined. And I wonder if they take all that into account, that massive infrastructure works just to get into one forest for a clearing, because they can clear massive amounts in a very short period, you know? Um, and it just, it, every time you put something at scale, every time you scale up, the more you scale up, it generally just becomes more unsustainable. You know, if you if you have a farm that's community, if you have a community scale forestry system where everyone in the farms are growing multiple diverse species, you know, and 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 biodiversity, we're missing biodiversity in forests. You know, we talk about native species. I mean, even native species, there's not they're not technically talking about that many trees. 
we can grow a lot more than just the natives. And what is native? You know, we don't know what lived here, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago. Um, but yeah, it just it just strikes me if you, you know if you bring it down to a community scale and you start growing trees on a community scale for a community where you can build firewood, you can do timberwood, you know, um, it generally becomes, it always seems to be far more sustainable, you know. Um, so, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a guy in Australia, Ryan Reed, and he is an agroforester, a very good one, and he's now at the point where he cuts down one of his trees every week, and he can do it for infinity because he's now set up a system where he's constantly planting and cutting down, but he's doing it on a small scale. It's not destructive. And I don't know if we need to try and find more ways to get to more of that kind of stuff. It's, yeah, I, I, that's quite interesting. I mean, like, I don't know, when, when I when I started uni, you were sort of the, the typical 16 or 17-year-old farming son that farming was all that mattered and, and nothing else mattered. And I think, you know, that that's that's a thing that's changing. It's actually quite... Um, quite refreshing to see new youngsters coming through the ranks and, and I can teach folk as young as 15 it's mad this year they're good. they could be 2008 born that sickens me um, <laughs> but uh, they're coming in and they're talking about the environment and they're talking about this sort of thing and that's such a pivotal change in a short period of time and that's that's a good change it's a change in the right direction now there's a lot more we can talk to them about but there's still, you said there about sort of sizing up, Colin, and, and uh, with size probably comes lower sustainability. This is where my sort of worry comes in. You know, my master's was food security and, and food security is, you know, physical and economical access to everyone, a safe, nutritious food, food that meets dietary requirements and preferences. It's getting food to everyone. We produce enough food, right, for about 12.3 billion. The issue is the infrastructure getting it to them and so on and so forth. But do we produce enough food? Now, this is going to be a contentious question for especially this group of people. Do we produce enough food if we don't have large-scale farming on the basis that not everyone is going to do what you're saying, Colin? Not everyone's going to live in a community. Not everyone's going to produce their own food. Not everyone's going to produce just for those around them. Do you see what I mean? Do we still have a working system that those working in farming sort of... A, I think it would be fair to say that the sort of system you're in AV is quite quite uncommon. You know, for the most part, generating an income because that's required and still feeding the planet. I'm quite interested here. I see a lot of hands up. Whoever first wants to go, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer. And I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Right, I come in. Fire on. Right. Um, I'll ask you a question. I don't know. But if we don't farm and grow trees in this way, then we're going nowhere. <laughs> the, the, if we carry on using oil as we are at the moment then we've got um we've got 50 years and that's that's not me saying that that's you know what is, is predicted it's less than 50 years yeah. um years ago it was 50 years 
Now we can make all sorts of adjustments, but whatever, that's incredibly finite, incredibly finite. So um, the, our agricultural production now, how things are, are being grown is totally dependent on that, totally. The, the fertilizers um, are either derived from it or use massive amounts of it to be produced. Mm -hmm. So um, if, we, if we cut our, the world's um, use of, uh, of, pet, of, of oil um, in half, we might have 100 years. If you manage to sort of ease back on that and work, work with it, which is, is still unsustainable. We need to transition and we need to find our way so that we are producing our food sustainably. And this is a way of, of doing it. You know, uh, it will be, need to be developed, um, if, if, you know, improved, but whatever. We need to be doing it. There, I, I personally think there's no alternative other than um, if you're uh, looking at uh, George Monbiot and uh, huge fermentation vats controlled by wealthy corporations um, producing producing our food. And I, I don't see, see that as being um, at all desirable. I don't know about the sustainability of it, but our agriculture and land use at the moment is by definition, because of its reliance on petrochemicals, unsustainable. Just just before you jump in there, Abby, just to, I think that's put very well, Tim. What sort of between your point and Colin's point is because I I think from a realistic perspective, there's not a way forward where there's enough producers, and I could be wrong here producing on that sort of small scale for what's nearby. It's what I want. I spoke about it a lot in the Masters. I really like that idea, but I still think it's an ideology. So is, and, and again, jump in and say you disagree, if so, because that's fine. It's what this is about. Is there a way for us to do this and have producers do it on a large scale to meet that food requirement while also doing it? Because you sort of said with size, Colin, that, that disappears. But sorry, Abby, I know you were uh, going to say something <clears throat> Yeah, interestingly, I also did my master's in food security. Um, yes, it, it was, it was, yeah, it, mine was through Bangor University. Uh, so it was um, farming focused, really, grasslands and uh, soil management and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is it possible to, to, to scale it up? Well, yeah, look at ranchers in, in the States um, who are farming over thousands of hectares in Australia. So, you know, that there is definitely a they're operating on a scale um, in quite, you know, intensive regenerative systems that are um, that are working. Um, but I think you know, what this comes down to is changing our diets as much as anything else, and cha changing our farming to, uh, to to reflect the change of diets that that, that are needed. Um, obviously, I'm a vegetable producer. <laughs> Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to have cattle. I really would love to have cattle, and everybody in this group knows that I'm, I'm just a farmer stuck in a garden's body. Um, but uh, but we but we need we need more vegetables uh, in our diets. We do need more more we need to eat more plants. In fact, um, that we do need to eat more plants, and we need to uh, be, be producing uh, sort of yeah crops for human consumption on on grounds that can produce crops for human consumption. 
Um, we also need to reduce crops for animal consumption. And, you know, Collins talks about, uh, you know, sort of the diets for, for poultry and, and yeah. pigs and that kind of thing. But, you know, that, that obviously needs to change and shift away from soya from deforestation of the Amazon as well. So it is so complex. It's all really complex, isn't it? It's the whole thing. But, um, yeah, I, I think I think that the yields are possible. Uh, but we need to we need to change our our farming systems to reflect the dietary changes that, that are needed. Um, sustainable food trusts came up with a really good report called Feeding Britain um, last year. They published a summary of that in December, just this this year, and that, that's kind of worth having a look at. at looking at okay, what do we need to change to to feed ourselves sustainably as a as a nation? Um, you know, how does our farming need to change to reflect the the the, the diet changes that are going to be needed to to have a more sustainable existence or to to exist on this planet because as Tim said we don't have any choice the, you know the, the writing is on the wall <laughs> so we we have to we have to do this or you know we haven't got any future for our great grandchildren that's that's the bottom line yeah I, yeah I would I think that's very fair and one thing that I think uh, how do I say this looking at sustainability and, and that sort of thing just in general, I think we're quite guilty of trying to come up with a one-size-fits-all, whereas what what people in, I'm from Arran, a hilly island, we produce beef, lamb, and a little bit of feed barley. Yeah, that's what's produced there. So from a diet perspective and from an environmental perspective, what makes sense to eat is that. Let's forget human nutrition. Let's look at it from an environmental perspective entirely for a minute. That makes more sense. If you're in Ukraine or if you're in, you know, Zargoth Mountains, whatever, these places are very fertile. That's, that makes more sense of a different diet. And I think it's quite important to consider that. Uh, Colin, uh, what I will say, Colin, is um, I'm quite conscious of time, um, but let's hear what you're saying because I do want to ask you all a question at the end as well. Um, but not that doesn't mean don't say what you're saying. Please say what you're saying. Uh, but and just, yeah. <clears throat> No, no, no. It was, it was all, so, so just very interesting. I, I mean, I'd heard that. I mean, you you may know this fact and Abimer's fact better than me, but you know, I had heard that uh, we produce enough calories and twenty percent of the world's farmland to feed the whole world. I you can know, believe that. From a calorie perspective, I, I I don't. I've never found the paper that backs it up or whatever, but I've heard that. Um, and it all it all just seems, you know. Because we always talk about, oh, we need to produce food on mass. But that'll be, so that'll be an extremely intensive twenty percent. Sorry to interrupt you there, but it yeah. will be calories. But yeah. it'll be against everything that you guys are standing for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Not, not, not nutrition either. That's that we're not talking about nutrition no. there. Yeah, just like, enough yeah. calories. That's, yeah. That was the point I was going to make. That yeah. if your soil's healthy, the food yeah. you produce is healthier, and you actually need less of it. You might think you still yeah. need the same amount to eat, but if the food itself is more nutritious because it's grown on better soil, whether that's vegetables, meat or whatever, you actually don't need as much food because the nutrition is more concentrated, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think it's quite important. I, like, I, I ran off the um, food security definition like a nerd there, but the important thing that I always focus on is you know, environmental and physical access, perfect, grand for everyone to safe, nutritious food, perfect. But the, the important part is is that sort of uh, nutritious dietary requirements and preferences. It's it's not just this idea of 
you know, dropping a ton of tatties on a random village, you know, like it's it's actually giving them what's required to have a balanced diet. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, calorific wise, Colin, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, probably you could look at some intensive wheat places knocking the sort of record uh, yields of like your 16, 17 tons a hectare um, uh, mentally intensive system in Lincolnshire or Australia or the States or whatever, or a heavily intensive feedlot, which I think is the most ridiculous thing on the planet, but as a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that was the point that was getting made with the 20% was we need to stop saying that we need to produce so much food because we just want to, to feed it. It yeah. was more about we need to produce, produce like Irene was saying, the nutrient density. And we, you know, it's, it's what do we produce, not how much do we need, you know. We're obsessed with quantity and we're obsessed with yield. We just broke the world yield record for wheat this year. I think it was something like 70, what was it, like 7.8 7, tonnes or 8 tonnes an acre or something like that? 7, 17. 17 point. 17. I, I don't think they've hit 18 per hectare yet. Yeah. No, it was 17, but 17. a massive, you know, just mm. an English, it was in England as well, wasn't it? I think so. It's, it's a wheat trailer. I but, you know, I'd love to see the nutrient density testing of all these, go and test that for nutrient density. I'd love to see how it stacks up against a heritage wheat that's not producing, you know, you probably find you would need 17 tonnes for two tonnes of, you know, exaggerating. Yeah. You know? I, I think, I think this is, we're, I'm trying to be conscious of time here and I'm going to open a completely new can of worms, but um, a lot of people have gluten intolerance and such like and whatnot. And that's because of intensification of a product. Yeah. That's, that's a massive reason. Um, I do still think we need to, like we're saying about the factory produced, it's, it's 12.3 billion, uh, enough for 12.3 billion, but we waste about 34.5%. So that's now taken us to pretty much where we are. Yeah, you know, that sort of 8 billion, it's a wee bit higher than that it takes us to. So we, we need to work on that more than more than food. Yeah, and if when we're working on that infrastructure, if we can try and increase the, the regenerativeness and, and, and sustainability of that product, all the better. And for those listening, um, we've probably been saying regenerative and whatnot, and, uh, you're probably thinking, what does that what does that mean? We could go into what regeneration, regenerative farming means. There's not really a strict definition. It's sort of looking at soil health and whatnot. But the best description I ever heard was um, a sustainable relationship is one in which you come home from work, you make dinner, and you go to bed. But a regenerative relationship is when you come home from work and you get your wife some chocolates and flowers, and then whatever happens later is much better. But that's the sort of difference between sustainable and regenerative. And I actually thought it was a really good way of describing it. Um, um, God's the time. We're sitting up an hour and a half, and I do want to ask all of you two questions. I also think, Abby, you probably want to say a little thing about sort of how how Regenerative Farming Network, Sustainable Food Partnership, and that sort of thing is funded, how, how that occurs as well. So let's go with that. <clears throat> uh, should I just do that right now? Yeah, I, I should have said that right at the beginning. But um, the Soil Health Group is, is currently funded um, by the Scottish Government's Knowledge Transfer Innovation Fund. Um, and this group is part of a Scotland-wide project um, in partnership with Nature Friendly Farming Network, Pasture for Life, Land Workers Alliance, Soil Association Scotland and uh, Nourish, um, who are all co-hosting uh, knowledge sharing groups like this in different parts of, of Scotland. Um, and they've been on lots of farm walks and had their own webinars, such one of which John mentioned earlier, the High, High Nature Value, which was hosted by uh, Kirsty and Phil from uh, Nature Friendly Farming Network. And this concludes later in, in March um, when I think Hugh and Tim and Evie and Colin are all going to Edinburgh 
uh, through a parliamentary event uh, to meet with other farmers who've been part of this um, knowledge knowledge transfer um, innovation fund. It's called Agroecology Enabling the Transition. Um, and we're, they're going to get to meet with MSPs and hammer them with policy asks. So that's going to be quite exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I need to get that in because it's kind of important. <laughs> But you know, when you mentioned the nature, I always say this wrong. I always say nature friendly for nature. Yeah, nature friendly farming network. Yeah, you know, that, that's right. Yeah. That's not yeah. normally. Um, yeah. We we did we we revalidating our whole degree at the minute the agriculture course. The HNCs at the minute are the first of their kind into the next gen. It's sort of integrating uh, vocational assistance, so going out on work placement and, and more integration of practical and whatnot. And we're just looking at revalidating the HND, uh, and they'll jump into that. And we had this sort of stakeholders day and whatnot, and we had Michael Clark from Nature Friendly Farming. Yep, go there, uh, and it was really interesting, sort of. Um, probably a perspective that we quite often don't get at these things and I'm really glad we had it. Uh, it was it was very worthwhile um so I have a question for everyone uh, because we're, we're probably sitting we're sitting over an hour and a half at the minute so it's been a good one and it's, it flies by when there's more people actually I've, I've really enjoyed the sort of dynamic um if you were to say well I'll tell you what I'll give you the easy one first <clears throat> but I'll give you them both at, at the same time and you will go around where do you see yourself, and let's put it as yourself, uh, let's not focus on the actual group at the minute, uh, in five years, and also um, if if you had to explain, and we'll do this quickly because of time, let's say, if you had to explain in 30 seconds to a minute what the yeah, regenerative farming network was, how would you do it? So again, we'll go round in the order of how I see it. Let's start with yourself, you. <clears throat> Five years time, gosh, especially with a crystal ball question. Thanks for that <laughs> um, I think I would like to see myself in a position where I'm, I'm, I'm much more enriched as a person, much more considerate in my actions in, in life and, and holistic land management has helped me do that. So I think trading lightly, being conscious, being respectful to other people and, and um, yeah, I guess giving myself better values and higher standards to step up to. Um, and hopefully... I'll still be around in five years' time. That's the show I should have said. That was, that was so deep. That was, it is. <laughs> Treading lightly to reduce compaction. I mean, like, you know, what, what more did you look like for? Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, if you were to sum up uh, Regenerative Farming Network in, a, in a, a, quick, a quick thing, how would you do it? Yeah, look, great, great. I'm having a great time being part of the group. And, you know, this, these things, like these podcasts are brilliant. Um, everybody works hard. Abby works incredibly hard. And just be great to see it succeeding. And uh, yeah, you know, the key thing is well as enjoying it, you know? 100%. It's got to be. It's got to be the first thing, hasn't it? You know, yeah, absolutely. Got, you're not doing yeah. it. Uh, John, five years and a quick description of the Regenerative Farming Network. Yeah, you muted. <laughs> five years. Um, well, only the good die young, so I'll be here for years. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I, I should still be around in five years' time. Where will I be? Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I'm hoping it's somewhere along the nature-friendly route, um, following regenerative practices that I find are so, so interesting. I'm, I'm totally with everybody that thinks it's the way forward. I, I'm, almost, I'm almost stuck on that it's the only way forward. But, but, but I'm also aware that there might need to be a flexibility where it needs tweaked to suit to suit us all individually, so it's a it's a general direction rather than a a, a guru esque 
you must, you must, you must. I have a great dislike for must, for rules. I, I hate rules. Hate yourself. Um, I've always <laughs> hated rules, and um, that I hopefully still here. Hopefully, doing a better job than I'm doing the new with the help of everybody here and others. Um, and well, that's it. No, that was, good, good stuff. Like it, like it. Um, Colin. Um, in five years. God, I don't know. Um, I think I always look at the future in terms of tree growth and what the farm will look like in terms of elevation and height. So I'd be interested just to see what the farm looks like in five years where the trees were planted and stuff, you know, and how I think it'll be real interesting to just see the actual physical shape change <laughs> of a farm, you know. Uh, um, when I go to places where the trees have started to grow and they get a bit denser, it makes me feel happier, you know, if, um, Kind of been able to walk through grassland and forest, and at the same time, um, so yeah, that's pretty much that. Healthier soils, you know, a bit more biology, more fungi, basically, you know, that's what we're aiming for. Um, and uh, yeah, um, the network. Uh, the best thing I like about the network is is quite literally just the, the, the like-minded community. You know, you can go there and you can vent about all the conventional stuff if you want <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm just just speaking with others you know I, I farming is such a lonely place you know i'm even when you've got lots of friends and stuff you know you're out there and a lot of time you're slogging away yourself and frustrations are with no one else but yourself and you've got to deal with them and you forget to vent sometimes you forget to you know speak out about them and even just talking with other farmers about you know the kind of things you want to talk about it's just a relaxing thing so yeah that's for me that's the best thing about it i think it's a massive part from a mental health perspective we're in quite a, a worrying place sometimes in food production that because you're not in big companies you're not in staff intensive units it's, it's i i actually struggled with it hugely you know the times i did night lamins and stuff i, I really struggled with it. i'm a pack animal like like i'm not good myself yet and uh, yeah big thing big thing when COVID happened we lost shows and markets and, and this sort of thing and, and it's useful for that Abby uh, so in five five I've got Dave Bowie in my head now five years never five years what a surprise <laughs> um Anyway, no, right, never mind, David Bowie. Um, I'll, I'll be, uh, I will have got a, a sort of collaboratively owned, cooperatively owned farm uh, by that point. Uh, probably a small farm, about 50 acres uh, with a two acre market garden um, and a, a burgeoning uh, silver pasture agroforestry uh, system with, um, you know, beautiful hedgerows um, on the way anyway, because five years obviously isn't very long, but, you know, they, they will be beautiful hedgerows uh, and orchards um, and cattle, of course. Probably Shetlands. I'm a bit hung up on Shetlands um, just because they're dual purpose and you can milk them as well. So, um, yeah, enterprise stacking with a micro dairy uh, and some pastured poultry. Why not? Because we need more broilers, that's for sure. Not just eggs. Like, we need there's a massive demand for free range organic chicken um, and people who will pay for it as well. So, yes, all the things, all the I things. But in a low-impact, agroecological kind kind of way. 
I must have asked over 90 people that question and no one has had such an accurate answer. <laughs> you got, you got to have a vision, you know. Almost like a description of what's here now. Like, how did you do that? <laughs> God, I wish. Yeah, it's a bit of a pipe dream, but um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what I want. That's what I want. I'm, I'm with a group of people, not on my own, just so, so we're not all sure. lonely and, and yeah. crying and sad by ourselves. <laughs> Um, because you you can't do all that by yourself. It takes uh, it takes a community to make that kind of thing happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and the Regen Farm Network. I mean, it's it's just like exploded in the last year, particularly. It's like been uh, it's it, I, out of all the things I do, I did lots of, of kind of food, food sustainable food projects, food education, working with kids, looking at food footprints, where the food comes from, and um, you know, obviously the market garden and I work with kind of procurement people looking at how we can get more local food and supply chains and we had an abattoir meeting yesterday looking at um, you know infrastructure locally for private kills and uh, and small scale um, sort of direct to produce to direct customer uh, kind of sales well, that's and policy stuff and I do all this kind of stuff this is my favorite thing this is this Excellent. is like I love this project more than anything else uh, so you know, even if there wasn't any funding for it, I'll still carry on doing it. Uh, she says, <laughs> as she's in her daughter's flat, um, <laughs> <more than> else. <laughs> it's, it's quite clear, though, Abby. I mean, like, um, it was a very good ex-student of mine, Clara, that came and mentioned this to me. And, uh, yeah, I've not been involved at all. I, I hold my hands up. But I look at those Tuesday buildings every time. Like, I'm normally out of walk when they're sent, and... I'll look through it and maybe not click on every link, but the amount of work that goes into that from your end is insane. So yeah. it's not as much as you think, actually. People always say this, but like I get, I'm, I'm on various newsletters, Sustainable Food Trust and Agroecology and like Soil Association and Landworkers Alliance, so, and and then I'm on Twitter, obviously, and, and kind of I'm harvesting interesting information. And then these guys, like you know, will share will share stuff via the WhatsApp group. So I'll kind of look that up and save that. And then when it comes to Tuesday, I'm literally just copying and pasting links and a bit of text. It's and it's an hour. But it's, yeah, fair, fair. And I think probably <laughs> folks say the same thing to me at this podcast. It must take you forever, but it really doesn't. So, yeah, you may be right. But it certainly looks like there's a lot in there. And I don't think I've ever written an email as big as any of them. So um, <laughs> you probably saw my emails. I think most, I don't think, I think the longest one I sent you was seven words. I'm not <laughs> sort of trying to get what I need done. And that's it. I hate waiting on these things all the time. So, uh, yeah, um, Tim, what, where do you see yourself in five years and, and uh, a, a short description of the, uh, I can't get this in my head now, Regenerative Farming Network. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, in five years' time, I hope I've got deeper, richer soil. And um, I hope, just kind of merging the two things together, I also hope that in five years' time, I'll still be laughing at the jokes on the WhatsApp group. <laughs> 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 I think I need to this WhatsApp group. You know that. I feel like it is. <laughs> you get lots of pictures of John Sheep. <laughs> or not John Sheep. Oh. <laughs> Invading Sheep. Or not John Sheep sometimes, yes. Sorry, Tim. Carry on, carry on. <laughs> and, uh, well, so the, the network, well, um, I just find it. Um, inspiring and supportive and, uh, and stepping sideways again um, and humorous. So, <laughs> there we go. 
I think it's, yeah, I th- and like you mentioned that as well, Colin, like that's such an important part. I think when we start things, we sometimes forget that there's more than just the sort of tangible technical goal you're aiming for. Like you've you've got a great group of folk here now, yeah? And like, you can see that, it's good. Um, Evie? Um, oh yes, um, but so it's five years time. Five years, you know, yeah. They tell me I won't be alive, but if I am alive, I'll, um, I'll have really deep, wonderful, living, regenerated soil on the land. I'll still be growing my onions. I'll still be growing my, all my salad greens in the polytunnel. I'm never, ever bored with it. I'll be doing even more green manure and hugel couture. My mushroom bed will be fantastic. Um, maybe I'll have a Jersey herd if I take this plunge. Um, and meanwhile, well, you know, all the work that Walter Yen is doing, uh, the whole of the Northern Hemisphere will be re-greened and all these deserts will become green. And so there may be a chance. And meanwhile, capitalism has just burst itself out of its own hole. Oh, I don't care. You know, it's just like a big pustule. And um, and it's gone. And we can all start growing local food and eating food in season. And just like most of the people do on the planet, have small farms and produce lots of food for the folk around them. Um, I, I listened to an amazing talk, Andhra Pradesh to Africa on the Oxfordville Farming Conference. So, you know, this is happening. People are getting back into what they call natural farming or natural agriculture, whether it's regenerative, it's all the same in a way. And I just think it could be amazing. And that's what I'm holding on to because the other side of me thinks that we're F-U-C-K-E-D. Um, but I think like Tim says, there is no choice. We have to, yeah. we have to farm regeneratively and it's probably better to be positive than negative. And this regenerative farming group is a hoot. Um, they've all been incredibly generous with their knowledge because I'm incredibly ignorant about a lot of things. Uh, they all helped me a lot recently when I was needing some figures for you know real business. So there's a lot of wisdom in this group. Um, I think it's great actually, it's really good. Um, I'm enjoying it. And I also, you know, we had a Land Workers Alliance get together here the other week and that was great too. So there's a lot of people, you know, locally who are quietly getting their shit together. And I like that, it's exciting. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I love all you said there. I mean, one, one thing that I think is quite funny is you should never ju- judge a book by its cover because I, this is the 82nd episode of the R2Cast and there's been two times people have said the F word and you've matched that yourself. Uh, and I, I did not think when you came on the call that that would be what you'd be doing. So I'm very impressed. You just don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> My daughter gave me a badge and it said um, something like really sweary but highly articulate. <laughs> and that was my birthday present. <laughs> It's on my something or other. I must I'm sorry. I hope that doesn't lose you a few listeners. Oh, dear. Worth it. Worth it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, and uh, not at all least this time. It's not Tim this time. And uh, But you are last, unfortunately. I mean, uh, what about yourself? Where you see yourself in five years and uh, information about the Regenerative Farming Network? God, at that time without looking. Five years' time. Well, one of the things I hope to get out of region is better grazing, planned grazing. That is actually to reduce a lot of the reliance on its animal health, to reduce the reliance on anthrop- well, 
mostly fluky sides here. We don't have a worm problem, but we do have a fluke problem. And that is one of the things that I really want to get out of it. I mean, I'm quite happy with my 100 sheep and my 20 cows and my goats. And I wish it was a wee bit easier to make a living from that. But on the other hand, there's a lot going forward around here with local food networks and buying direct short supply chains. I was at a meeting we had the other night about the, exactly that, trying to shorten supply chains. And I think that's actually beneficial for everybody, all for community. Even if it's not community-owned, producing for the community rather than sending it off into the blue yonder and not knowing what enough happens to it. The, the set of things with the abattoirs and that, I hate the fact that if I actually sell goats in the market, I know I know they're going to Birmingham, they're going to Halal, and I don't want that, and I've actually not sold any that way for quite some time, which has resulted in a bit of a fat log in a builder, which is not financially good. Is that why it's 56 and not a bit less? Probably, so. <laughs> <Likely>, yes. <laughs> Apparently, yes. But I was having speaking to Paisley Abattoir today, and that I might hopefully take it out of 46 or something. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but it's, I just don't think that's right that food should be going so far when there's people that need it here. Why should it go down there to come back up? Or why should it go across to Germany and then we bring German port back in instead? It's silly. I agree. And I think there's, there's a lot of this sort of... Eh, I see Tim's going. Thank you, Tim. Um, Hi, Tim. We'll see you later on. Eh, you know, this sort of idea of, of almost looking down on a product. product. I, I spoke to a guy, Regis Umagiraneza, our two cast number 71, and he's the food and farming policy chairperson for Rwanda. And eh, they have readily available sweet potato. And those people that are poor beyond sort of what we can really comprehend in this country don't eat sweet potato because it's frowned upon. And I'm like, that's insane. You know, and this idea that we've got that here, that goat's probably one that a lot of, I would say my friends, a lot of folk I know that'll be like, oh, goat. And I'm like, oh, goat. <laughs> you know, and, and sort of changing that that perception is a massive part of this. And the fact that um, there's so many different forms of, of protein and energy that we can take in. And it doesn't always have to be the, the norm. Uh, and, and we can sort of change that norm. But um, honestly, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat. I've very enjoyed this. It's been one of those sort of ones where I'm sort of always checking the watch to make sure we're getting time and whatever, and we're now pretty much two hours, just kind of went like that. So uh, thank you all very much for your time. I've fair enjoyed it. I hope you guys have enjoyed yourself as well. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. Yep. Thank you. Well, it's uh, really good. Thank you. Grant, I'm glad. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, that was our two cast number 82 next week, or not this, not week, not pff, words apparently, I can't do that anymore. Not next week, this week, come Friday, we'll have Charles Dowding on, which is very exciting. And then next week, we're jet setting off to, I've forgotten now, that's terrible, Zimbabwe, uh, to speak to Blythe Aitken, who is a flower and blueberry agronomist out there. So, a uh, very interesting chat. She is actually from Dumfries and Galloway. Um, well, that's not true. She's born in Zimbabwe, spent a lot of her, her, her sort of teenage years and sort of uh, studied in Dumfries and, and, and Ayrshire, in fairness, uh, and is now back in, in Zimbabwe. And then the following week, we'll have the digital dairy chain on, which is the big fancy, I don't like to explain it, big 
funded dairy digital chain. Listen to Articast 85, it's not filmed yet. You can hear it better what it means then. Um, so yeah, thank you very much and we'll see you for the next one. Thank you all everyone as well. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.